This is Women in STEM Career and Confidence, the podcast for scientific and professional women who want to restore confidence, make meaningful impact, and balance the things and people that mean most to them. I'm Dr. Hannah Roberts, and I'll be sharing with you insights and inspiration into the mindset and skill set to help you navigate your career and lead powerfully. Hello and welcome to the show today. I want to introduce you to Marie Hemingway, one of my all-time favorite people to stalk on LinkedIn. (laughs) So if you're not connected with her, then do get connected with her today. She's amazing. She's a physics graduate and consultant and also an award-winning co-founder of the Speak Out Revolution. And that is a not-for-profit leveraging data-driven insights to empower individuals and organizations to cultivate truly inclusive workplaces. She's doing amazing work as the CTO. And in this session, we look at what led her to co-found the Speak Out Revolution, what the long-term vision is for the Speak Out Revolution, And I have to say, it's truly inspiring. And finally, we put the world to rights on affordable childcare. So let's dig into the show today. So a huge warm welcome to Marie Hemingway. She is on the show today. I would love it if we could start by just having a little introduction to who you are and what you're currently doing. Hi Hannah, you make it sound so easy. I feel like um, I'm not going to sound as good, so I need to like brighten up my uh, speaking. Um, hi, I'm Marie Hemingway. I'm one of the founders and chief technology officer for Speak Out Revolution. We're a, a nonprofit on a mission to cancel the culture of silence on workplace harassment and bullying. Um, and I'm really excited to chat to you today. You know, um, my background is in STEM. I'm a woman in STEM, and one of our target sectors for really getting this topic on the agenda this year is, is in STEM. So excited to be here and chat to you. Thank you. And thank you for being here. So let's go back to where it all began in the first place, because you have just told me you're a woman in STEM. So when did you decide, yeah, that's the career pathway for me? Oh, wow. Um, actually, uh, it's a really interesting question. Um, so I kind of accidentally went into STEM, actually. Um, I think when I was in college, I really wanted to study. I wanted to live abroad and I wanted to study a language. Unfortunately, uh, I'm not very good at languages, uh, but I was good at maths and physics. And so um, it was actually my brother that was like, hey, Marie, um, you know, you're really, you're well, not really good, but he was like, you're really good at, at maths and physics. Why don't you just do a, a degree in physics? And, and then you can, you know, you can do any job you want after that. And I found it quite a compelling argument and I did want to keep my options open so I was like yeah I'll go do a physics degree and then I'll decide what I want to do with my life after Um, and it worked out pretty well I think um, doing a physics degree was probably the best decision I ever made in my life to date which which is good (laughs) oh wow that's quite a strong statement actually (laughs) yeah I think so I think so great so a little bit like me you like languages, but you're not very good at them. <laughs> and it's so interesting that your brother saw that in you and helped you um, come to that conclusion. So if you went and did a physics degree and 
that was a really great step for you. Tell me what you observed in terms of the physics makeup, because as a chemistry student, mm-hmm. we had 43% of us going into that cohort were women. So it really <laughs> felt like everyone around me was just like me. Like there wasn't an issue of this leaky pipeline at that moment in time. It was only as I got a bit further where I discovered the problem. So mm-hmm. as you started out on your physics degree, what did you notice? Well, Hannah, uh, it's interesting, actually. Uh, so physics is not as good as chemistry, um, it sounds like. I think 10% of my year were female. Um, and actually, I would say that um, in sixth form, I'd never really, there was a lot of women in my physics class, and I'd never really recognized that being a woman in a STEM subject was controversial in any way. Um, and I think that I first started to realize that people thought differently when I got to university. Um, and, and maybe it was because we were so underrepresented, but definitely that was the first time where I, start, I started to notice that the way that you were treated was different. The things that people said to you were different. The expectations were different. Um, being a woman in that setting or in that um, profession, so to speak. Yeah, I, that really makes sense. And oh, gosh, only 10% of the cohort going <laughs> in. Women, that, that is a stark contrast, I have to say. At that moment in time, as you went in, did you notice it then as you first arrived in your degree? Was it something that was in your consciousness or did that come a bit later? I don't think it was at the forefront of my mind initially because it hadn't been something that was on my radar, um, I would say. And I think growing up, you know, I've got two brothers, um, lots of the things that I enjoy doing in life, uh, people might consider to be um, more suited to, to men and boys. So I'm, I'm in those environments a lot, if that makes sense. So it mm-hmm. wasn't super obvious to me initially um and but that definitely changed as I entered um you know my career and my my professional life and and has remained consistent ever since (laughs) oh wow okay so tell me what happened after your degree yeah sure so I uh I graduated uh with a physics degree which is great um I was really I spent some time at university in the university's air squadron so I was exposed to military life um you know, really, uh, really enjoyed that aspect of um, my time at university and decided that I wanted to, well, the RAF don't employ physicists, which uh, people should be aware of if they're thinking about (laughs) doing physics and wanting to join the RAF. Um, But I really wanted to support that, uh, you know, the defense side of things. So I went to work in for a defense organization as a physicist, um, and I spent a good chunk of my early career um, in that role. Again, like many organizations, there's an underrepresentation of, of women in the, the STEM space, um, working with uh, you know, clients and customers where there is uh, probably even, an even worse underrepresentation um, of women. And I think this definitely comes through in the way that people behave and interact, um, not explicitly, more unconsciously um, than anything else. Uh, But I think that becomes noticeable over a period of time. Um, So I think, is that a good answer? Of course it is, because it's your answer. (laughs) (laughs) I had a um, flatmate when I first started out at university who 
um, joined all the RAF military, I'm sure it was RAF, but it was one of the reserve cadet type things. Nice. She was always off going on some serious adventures. <laughs> yes, I would heavily recommend, um, <laughs> I would heavily recommend joining the university's air squadron, anyone that is at university. It was uh, the highlight of my time at university, I would say. Wowzers. My husband did that too, and he learned how to juggle while he was waiting to go up in planes and things. So, <laughs> the skills for life. Skills, skills for life. life. He's very entertaining <laughs> at juggling. <laughs> I love it. So, you went into the um, defense sector, and now you've got your own um, foundation, which is Speak Out Revolution. So, what was the story that led up to you creating that? Oh, well, it's the typical story that you'll hear from people uh, that create organizations like Speak Out Revolution. Um, so it actually started, um, so the idea started when I was, uh, so I'm on the board for the Women's Infrastructure Network, um, which is something that I joined as I started recognizing that more and more rooms that I was working in um, in the engineering uh, sector where I've worked for the last decade have no women in um, I started doing more work for the women's infrastructure network and looking at you know what can we do to support women in this sector how can we encourage women to progress how do we create networks um, and events that are really going to provide women with the resources that they need to be successful and as I was looking more and more into how we do that I was coming across examples of unofficial examples, let's say, of, of women who were changing roles, um, changing companies, leaving the profession that had had experiences of unfair treatment in the workplace, um, relating to all different things. But I think the common underlying theme was they were experiencing workplace harassment and bullying, and it was not being appropriately resolved. And um, I was talking about this more and more, which meant that more and more people were coming to me to talk about it. And then I started writing about it and then more and more people talked to me about it. Um, and eventually I got together with uh, Fran, uh, Frances Holmes. Um, she works in innovation in the engineering sector. And we were kind of trying to understand, you know, what is this problem and how could we help solve it? And that was essentially the, the birthplace of, of Speak Out Revolution. Um, and, and what we essentially do is host a global anonymous survey so anybody can document their experience of workplace harassment and bullying and the steps that they took to resolve it and the outcomes they achieved. And then we collate data or experiences from around the world and we present that open source. And the idea is that we want to empower everyone, whether you're a target of workplace harassment and bullying, you're a D&I professional or you're working HR to really understand what the problem looks like in your sector or in your organization so that you can target your efforts in the places that you need to the most um, to, to deliver gender equality within your organization or other forms of equality, um, depending on where your focus lays. And, and so that's what we've been doing for the last 18 months or so. Wow, that sounds really fantastic because I can see the physics brain coming into action because everything <laughs> that you do is data informed which I absolutely love 
So all the recommendations that you make are informed by this data that you've been collecting over this time period. Yeah, it's it's interesting you should say this. Well, Fran's a mathematician and I'm a physicist, so we're very oh, wow. much <laughs> we're very we're very much we're very much on the data. Uh, and I think the the initial challenge that I thought we had was that actually when you look at our um, insights, what we see is the majority of instances of non-inclusive behaviors in the workplace, organizations don't know about. And so we actually thought that the problem was that companies couldn't see the, you know, as a scientist, you know, I say you can't solve a problem unless you understand the problem. And so actually what we're seeing is organizations don't see the full problem or the, or the full problem space. And then actually when we start to analyze our data, the parts of the problem that they do see aren't actually representative of the problem. Um, so it's, it's interesting you say that from the um, from the data side of things, because definitely, um, you know, with the physics and maths coming in, we're kind of like, we need to understand what's the baseline. Um, and, mm. and organizations can't do that on their own, unfortunately. So just to check in with you on that, the things that they do see and workplaces do see, do those things tend to be the sexual based harassment, the really severe type of things and the rest that are under the surface and more the microaggressions of sly comments here, being left off an email here, other kind of aggressions. What's, what, what's your take on that? Yeah, it's a really good question. And I could probably answer it speculatively because we haven't really done a deep analysis of um, separating out the formal reports from informal reports and looking at the nature of what people share. Um, I would say that what you have described fits with um, what I see from kind of a qualitative perspective. So, you know, typically organizations will know there's a problem by the time the problem has escalated to the point where actually they, they either have to leave or they have to, um, you know, they're at the point of where they need to take legal action because it's just got so severe. Whereas before that, there are typically small events that happen that build up to, that lead up to uh, the bigger things that are more serious. And people just don't recognize that they're experiencing a problem. So, you know, some of the time they don't know they need to report it. Um, some of the time they don't think that they should report it. Um, so it's it's quite difficult, I think. But I mean, just to pick up on your microaggressions point, for women in STEM, this is the the number one reported form of um, unfair treatment in the workplace. So you know, absolutely on the on the head with um, what women in our profession are, are tolerating um, on an everyday basis. Yeah, I think I can put myself in that category of tolerance. <laughs> you heard me talk about before having just started out as a postdoc and um, and also being pregnant and nobody knowing at that point mm-hmm. and having guys say to you, oh, you're married, but are you happily married? And just like slight little comments here and there. But like you said, it's not one comment. You, nope. You can handle that. But if day in, day out, you're being... Um, you know, bullied or harassed in some way, like small forms of microaggressions. Mm-hmm. And these also escalate, I guess, for um, minority groups in particular. Mm-hmm. That can be a very harsh cumulative effect. Over time, it starts to drain people and wear people down. No, absolutely. And, and I think 
one of the so you're right I describe microaggressions as death by a thousand cuts because you know it's a difficult situation because in the moment you know sometimes people even people will say things and they don't mean it negatively um they're just uh verbalizing their biases and prejudice against you but sometimes they might be doing it in a positive way you know your legs your legs look great Hannah in that dress Mm -hmm. totally inappropriate comment to say in the workplace and then you spend 15 minutes wondering if you're dressed inappropriately if everybody's thinking that if you didn't get that promotion because somebody thought you were you dressed in in an inappropriate way at work um (laughs) do you know what I mean and and I I think for me I, I read a study I'm trying I can't for the life of me remember it um I read a study that showed you know, the, that low level harassment, like microaggressions over a period of time has the same, um, you know, psychological and physical impacts as, uh, you know, a one-off serious assault. So actually we can't just, you know, we can't just tell people to ignore comments like that because they have a tangible effect on our mental health and on our physical health if left unaddressed. Oh, that's huge actually, when you think about it. Mm. I'm glad you brought brought up the fact that mostly when you're at the other end where you say a microaggression to somebody else or you demonstrate a microaggression against someone else, often it's unconscious Mm. and it's unconscious biases. So only by having conversations like this, by bringing it to an awareness, can Mm -hmm. people start to go, oh, I've actually done something um, that I need to correct here and actually change our behaviors or for the other person to say, actually that was a microaggression and for mm-hmm. us to, be able to tell somebody that so that they can check in with their own biases and change their behavior going forward as well yeah absolutely and I and I think a good tool for someone who experiences a microaggression could be to to simply ask a question what do you mean by that can can you can you explain what you you meant by that comment um which I think is a really non-confrontational way of making the other person verbalize that actually they'd assume something they'd assume mm. something within what they were thinking and and maybe that wasn't quite right and they can correct themselves um but absolutely uh, and i'd really encourage allies in the workplace that that see this happening um for other people to you know step in and, and do similar yeah good really really great advice and such a simple question yeah good thank you and um just out of interest I know that you have been running campaigns as well on top of the data collection part. Uh, we've been doing everything <laughs> I'm so tired <laughs> and I remember one in particular that you were doing which was the design her in campaign so yes. what was that about well um so we so we we started to gather data via the speak out survey and I mean, as you might expect, Fran and I are reasonably well connected within, you know, across the engineering sector. Um, and what we were finding was that we were getting a lot of reports from women in engineering. And, and, and we were also having conversations from women in the engineering sector as well, um, really highlighting very basic things that organizations were, were just getting wrong um, when, it, when it came to creating inclusive workplaces for women. and. You know, I don't know how much you follow the institutes and, and various other organizations, but there's a massive push, a massive push for gender diversity within the engineering profession right now, as there should be, um, as the sector, you know, um, creating, designing and delivering innovative solutions for society. We should definitely have society represented within the workforce. Um, 
And so we decided that actually we were going to take our data and we were going to run um, some workshops, create a think tank and, and, you know, just get to the, the meat of what are the things that are happening um, that present barriers to women participating in the engineering profession. And then we worked with women across lots of different industries to prioritize those barriers. And we, we ended up with 10 key barriers to women participating in the engineering profession. We're going to build on the campaign with uh, some, uh, you know, solutions, talks, workshops, training um, and consulting for organizations, uh, which is in the pipeline right now. Um, but really, we wanted to start to get organizations focused on this is what the problem is. This is where you should start first, um, rather than as what typically happens, you know, well, we bought unconscious bias training. So we've solved the problem that is gender inequality in our workplace, which is which does not solve the problem. No, it doesn't. But, <laughs> um, thank you. And I'm glad that that isn't the end of the story that you have started out in that particular campaign and that you have more things lined up for it as well. Mm -hmm. So that is really very cool. And I do have another question that has just leaped out of my head, of course, because I have three children and they get up at 6am. <laughs> oh no, I feel for you. You feel for me, but it is coming back. So what I want to ask next is what your, no, it's come back. It's come back. Oh, good. Go for it. Go for it. <laughs> so you've come through the physics degree. Mm -hmm. And all of your work in um, the transport sector and the defense sector and now Speak Out Revolution, mm -hmm. you're now the face of Speak Out Revolution along with your co-founder, of course. Oh, no. And you do lots <laughs> of speaking events and, um, and talking about the results and the findings. Mm -hmm. So have you always been this confident with your public speaking? Oh, good question. Um, so I would say, well, first, I would say thank you. You've implied that perhaps I'm confident of public speaking. So I always uh, I want to say thank you for that. Um, so I would say, you know, absolutely not. Um, I, I'm thinking back to very early career where yeah, I remember the first big presentation I ever did. It was actually at uh, Los Alamos, um, Los Alamos Labs in the US. And, and I remember being so nervous in an auditorium, there was 50, 50 or so people, like really, really clever physicists. <laughs> and I remember, you know, going up and just thinking, oh gosh, this is, you know, this is pretty bad. Um, and the guy who, uh, the guy who was leading the session, who um, actually has, I've been very good friends with ever since, um, you know, slightly older in his career, just like wisp appropriately I would say whispered in my ear and said like e everyone's here behind you we just want to hear what what you've got to say um and I think back to that presentation and think gosh I was really like Ugh. but now when I think about I just think about that hasn't gone but I think about public speaking in a different way I think about it as an opportunity to share a message that I think is very important and an opportunity to help people get on board with the work that we're doing and the outcomes that we want to achieve so for me I'm almost I'm not I'm not thinking about myself anymore um I'm thinking about when I am public speaking like you know what would I want to say on behalf of the people that have reported their experiences to us 
and how can I inspire people in this conversation to start to do things differently so we can solve that problem because I really care about the problem um so it I don't think it ever goes away I just now think about it differently if that makes sense it absolutely does and I think the top tip there for me that I'm taking away is the shift was that emphasis away from me as a person and how will I be perceived and what questions might I get and they all know more than me to how can I be of best service to the vision to the people who have given the stories to the future that's what I'm aiming for that's what I'm aiming for (laughs) I love it and I'm glad that it enables you to be able to as we say speak out So in terms of the long-term vision for Speak Out Revolution, Mm. if we were to go out, let's say, (laughs) 10 years' time, what would you like to see out there? Well, Hannah, you sound very much like our executive board, (laughs) to which... (laughs) To which my response is, hmm, that's a long way away from now. I'll be pleased to just still be alive. Um, So... It, it's a really it's a really good question I mean so I'm, I'm sat in um, the technology role so um, I'm thinking about our technologies for the future what I've really got in my mind right now is how do we solve some of the key challenges that individuals face um, so for so for me what they look like are the majority of people don't recognize they're experiencing workplace harassment and bullying and it takes them a long time to figure it out so how do we reduce that that time frame when they do figure it out they don't actually know what the best decision to take is in terms of resolving that situation and then often given the systems and the processes that we have in place right now people feel i think rightly feel um injustice in in terms of not getting the response that you would expect to get in trying to resolve this situation so what i'd like to see in 10 years time is our next open source technology that we're working on um, probably going to be renamed but we're calling it speak out digital twin and what i really want to be able to do is have a free resource that anybody in the world can come to type in specific information about themselves um, so for me it might be i'm white i'm 30 something i work in the engineering sector and i want you know, using the experiences from people around the world, I want that person to be able to see this is what your most likely form of workplace harassment and bullying looks like. These are the decisions that people like you have taken in trying to resolve it. And these are the outcomes that they've achieved. Here are the things that you should watch out for as an individual and mitigate against so that you can protect your career, your mental health, your physical health. Um, So I really want to move us to, uh, you know, open source technology that enables people to predict, navigate and help solve the problem that is workplace harassment and bullying. That's where I'd like to see us. I think that is such an amazing vision. Absolutely amazing vision. And I love the fact that it's going to have predictions in there, but not just predicting, "Uh oh, this might happen to you, but actually what did people do? What were their <laughs> outcomes? What are the recommendations too? So really, really love that. And as you were talking there, I know you were telling us some of your characteristics, you know, I'm white, I'm 30 something. I'm 30 <laughs> something until August. <laughs> I'm still 30 something for a while. <laughs> You'll be but pleased I- to know, Hannah, there's no correct age to be as a woman. So it, it is going to be fine. <laughs> 
actually I'm I'm pretty looking forward to it um because then I think well I say what I like now but I can say I can say even more what I like when I'm 40 absolutely I can get like my mum I hope she's not listening to this one but there comes (laughs) an age right where you just seem to say anything (laughs) it's true I got that early I think (laughs) (laughs) me too but I do know that um, in terms of characteristics, you also have some children. Yes. So tell me how old are your children and also how you've navigated your work-life integration? Mm-hmm. This is a very interesting question. So I only have one child. He's, um, he's two and a half. It feels like I have a thousand children. Um, and it, do you know... I, where to start for this one um so I would say having a child is my child was unplanned um but that's fine I'm I like uh, opportunity in life and, and different things um I would say having a child is probably the single worst decision to make if you care about working in your career I when you say navigating like work and life um some people call it work life balance what I've realized is um, if you are very passionate about your career and the work that you do, it is, there is just no reasonable way <laughs> to be able to do that and to raise a child in the current systems that exist within the UK. Um, and I speak as a very privileged member of society, I would say. So I don't even know how I can only imagine how much harder it is for the next person um, to be able to do that. The way that I manage it is um, I work part-time in my uh, consulting role, so three days a week. I work two days a week voluntarily at Speak Out so so that I have the option to roll back if something were to change, like availability of childcare or there was sickness um, or there was some other um, thing that I had to take care of. I find it very, very difficult and... um, and appreciate that I have a lot of flexibility, um, but that comes with, you know, uh, privilege, right? Not everybody has that, um, which is one of the reasons why we work so hard at Speak Out to, to try and get that on the agenda and, and to caveat the things that we say and do with the assumed privilege of, of certain uh, positions and viewpoints. And I'm glad that you mentioned privilege in there as well, because um, both of us are in highly privileged positions and we're often told I was told you know get a nanny get a cleaner get as many sets of hands as you possibly can as soon as you can and Mm -hmm. some people that's you know that's easy and that's achievable for others it takes time and for others it's never going to be there's never going to be another set of hands to help out it's always going to be on you Mm -hmm. and so it becomes how do we actually integrate having a family with work as well. I think it comes down to values and hierarchy of values. And if you have work or whatever you get from work, whether that's impact on making a difference right at the top of your list, everything that comes underneath it runs through the filter of work comes first or the Mm -hmm. outcome of work comes first, which means making a choice between do I go away or am I at home at the weekend whatever it is we're always going to pick work first whereas if the values are flipped upside down so there's no right or wrong good or bad here just different for each person 
Mm -hmm. Say the top value is family or whatever you get from family, whether that's connection, intimacy, love. If that's at the top and work falls underneath, the decisions and the choices that you make will be different. It's just running it through a different filter. So I so I absolutely agree with you. And and I feel like, uh, you know, there are so many choices that are predetermined for women in particular in life. And, you know, I think any decision that you make, especially when it comes to children, will always be criticized by someone in society because apparently we we, we feel as a society we, we can judge women, um, you know, for whether they breastfeed or bottle feed, for whether they have a natural birth or an unnatural birth. Um, uh, I, I learned a long time ago. I'm just like, listen, just do what you want to do and it will be fine. Don't listen to anyone else. I, yeah. I do think there are, you know, as a society steps that we can take to make sure that actually those choices are free choices to make. So, for example, um, some women, and this will be the majority of women, I, I assume, in our society, um, won't have the choice of working, not really. Um, because our childcare systems or, or our, our childcare infrastructure is probably more rightly we refer to it is unaffordable and inaccessible to the majority of women in our society. So actually, it kind of doesn't matter what your values are as a woman. If you can't afford it, you can't access it, then you're not really making a free choice. Um, what I would love to see so that women can make the choices that they want to make, whether that's career, family, a little bit of both, none, whatever, <laughs> um, is affordable, accessible childcare. I think that's going to open, open, open up many opportunities for women in the workforce, and it's going to make the solutions that we're producing for society, particularly in the engineering sector, far more valuable for society because we're accessing a much wider talent pool. Mm -hmm. and, and I think that's probably the single, for me, the single biggest barrier um, to us being able to do that still withstanding your points are very valid and completely agree yes, with them. but you raised the great point that actually without the structures and the systems like you said the choice is almost taken out of your hands your values almost um can't come into play sometimes because mm -hmm. it's being filtered through the system and the process mm -hmm. so i saw some research where i'm sure it was world war ii but do correct me if i'm wrong where the government basically provided free childcare for absolutely everyone because they needed women to work <laughs> and um what did they lo and behold what happened women went to work loads of women went to work and it all worked really well because mm. the free childcare and the systems in place to support women in the workplace well it's almost like they did the experiment and achieved the outcomes um <laughs> and then rolled back <laughs> yes yes because they needed needed to take the women out of the jobs so that they could give the jobs back to the men who had come back from war yes. um because they're the priority right um wow i didn't realize that was the case but it makes sense right um and we should totally do that again that we makes a lot totally of sense to me. and and actually i would say as a taxpayer i would pay a lot more tax to ensure that we families had access to childcare accessible affordable childcare um I, I don't know why we're not I personally don't know why uh, the government aren't looking at this but uh, apparently it's not important so I I would agree with you and I think perhaps the tax would actually be less than the childcare I've paid myself <laughs> well do you know that my childcare is my single biggest outgoing each yeah. month and you know there are days where I so I volunteer for speak out there are days where 
if if Arthur is sick, I'm literally doing a calculation in my head of, okay, I'm paying like 90 pounds today for him to go to childcare that he can't go to. I'm also losing uh, nine hours of a working day, which I, I can't recover. And then I'm like, so how much is it costing me to do this voluntary work, um, you know, to, to try and help, um, you know, to try and help our workplaces become more equal and fair that the government should be doing anyway. <laughs> and I'm just like, yeah, I feel like today's a bad day. <laughs> yeah. So on the one hand, We've got the guilt, the shame, the mummy guilt and the shame of the expectations that society have upon us. And then the other part of us are really angry about what's going on and how we could see that things could be different. And it's been demonstrated what works when things are different as well. I would say I'm fully in the anger stage (laughs) and I'm just figuring out how to channel it. (laughs) Well, you've got a great um, foundation to do that. So as my last question today, I want to take you back mm. all the way to the start of Speak Out Revolution when you first started that. Mm-hmm. And imagine that you could whisper in your ear any piece of advice. What would that be? Oh, oh, gosh. Um, mm. <laughs> I'm having to really filter myself. Um, so. Okay, so so I, I think there'd be a few things that I would tell myself. Um, and, and, I, and I feel like I live by this anyway, so uh, maybe I just more so live by it now. Um, I would say, don't ask anyone's permission to do anything, Marie. Just give yourself permission to do it, um, whatever that might be. Um, you're never gonna feel ready. Just, you know, the, the, the first and best thing to do um, to be successful in anything is to start. Um, and, I, and I probably implement that more, you know, don't wait, just start and you'll figure it out. And, and I probably say, find your people and find them quickly. Um, so there's going, there's always other people that are working towards the same goal. They're doing it in different ways and they're thinking about it differently. Um, but we can be so much more effective if we collaborate and and so I probably would have said to myself earlier, you know, find those people and, and start working with them, which is essentially where we're at now, kind of um, forming more partnerships, um, aligning with people that are trying to achieve the same things as us and, and, you know, giving our resources to them for free so that they can deliver their vision because actually it helps deliver ours. Um, so I think those three things, don't ask permission, um, start and find your people. Uh, they are um, music to my ears I love those ones you're one and of my people Hannah you're one of my people too <laughs> <laughs> you don't ask permission just get on with it so if people have been listening to this and they want to add their data and their story to speak out revolutions um system what what do we call it um, so we have the, the Speak Out survey. So it's an ongoing live survey. So anyone anywhere in the world can document their experience of unfair treatment or workplace harassment and bullying, or maybe you think about um, working in a toxic workplace. Um, so I'd absolutely, if people are able um, and, and willing, uh, please do share your experience with us. It's, it's anonymous. We, we use that data to deliver educational talks, to drive legislative um, change through campaign with partners. 
Um, we've actually just launched our first um, research partnership with the University of the West of England. Um, and actually that's in STEM, Hannah. So looking at um, how we need to change management spots management styles um, to effectively manage um, a more diverse workforce as we continue to attract more diverse talent into engineering. Um, so we're using the data as impactfully as possible. Uh, if anybody's able, we'd love to add your experience to that. That's very cool. So do they just go to the website, speakoutrevolution.co.uk? Where do they go? Yeah, so speakoutrevolution.co.uk. Um, there's uh, in the header, you hit survey, and then there's uh, a page that takes you to a Google form when you can add your experience. Perfect. We will add it to the show notes for anyone who's listening. So do please check it out. And I just want to thank you from the bottom of my heart for being here today one of my favorite people to see on LinkedIn and to uh, <laughs> I am you can't I'm well actually I think you can see me can't you I'm blushing honestly I'm such a big fan of yours <laughs> like we could be here all day <laughs> um yeah thank you so much it's honestly been uh it's been a really nice hour out of my hectic day chatting to you <laughs> absolutely and for me too so we will see you soon thank you for listening to women in stem career and confidence to get further support in your journey, join me in Breakthrough Unleashed on Facebook.